Staying true to America's national destiny, the voice of the awakening. Your host, Bishop E. W. Jackson. Isaiah chapter 46. Um, the scripture that we focused on is uh, verse 11. That's the, our point of focus. And, and I put the, the first clause and second clause together to read this way, because this is how it really reads. Calling the man who executes my counsel from a far country. Or I said it this way, calling my servant from a far country. And I used that as a jumping off point last time. We were in the July 4th uh, season. And we had July 4th, the 236th year of this nation's official existence, which we celebrated on Wednesday. And I've been talking last Sunday and I'm going to continue this Sunday and maybe next Sunday if the Lord uh, gives me leave to do that uh, about this subject called to be Americans, called to be Americans. Now, last time we learned that we're not here by accident, that our country is not an accident and that we are not here by accident. Now, of course, you can't prove that scientifically. You've got to have faith to understand that. It depends upon your worldview. It depends on whether you believe that things just kind of happen and we just kind of stumble into everything or you really believe that God has a unique plan for human history, that he is the author, the ruler. He is the king over human history. And just like the scripture says, it says, God says, uh, declaring the end from the beginning. What that means is God says, at the very beginning, I declared what the outcome will be. At the very beginning, I declared what the outcome will be. And he said, I have purposed it. I will also do it. Now, the notion that the greatest country in human history would arise by some accident, by some happenstance, is really a violation of that principle which we just read in the word of God. That means that God just kind of sitting back and watching things happen and this country just happened. And that, that's just you know, one of those things that uh, kind of pops up. Well, that's not the case at all. And if that's not the case, then clearly it's not the case that we are here by accident. Because look, without Americans, there would be no America. So God had to ordain, just like he ordained this nation, he also had to ordain that it would be populated by a certain group of people. And he has done that. And we are the people that God has chosen to be here. Now, we also talked about this that the essence of what it means to be human is freedom. It's freedom, because without freedom, nothing else really means anything. Without freedom to choose right from wrong, to choose God over the devil, freedom to love or not love, then, then the whole notion of sin and righteousness is meaningless. So freedom is absolutely essential. People say, well, if God is in control, why did he let Adam sin? He didn't let him do anything, he gave him freedom. <laughs> He gave him freedom, and Adam made the wrong choice, and people are doing it every day today, amen? Amen. People are making wrong choices because God gives us freedom to make those choices. But freedom is essential, and only one nation on the face of the earth, only one nation was fruited and grounded on this as its primary founding principle, that human beings are free. This is the only nation in the world founded on that singular preeminent principle. Now, we have other principles that we're founded on, but that is the singular preeminent principle upon which the United States is founded. That is that we as human beings are free. Now, uh, here's the sad thing. 
Our founding fathers believed that that freedom only came from one source, not government, not an edict, not even our constitution, as illustrious a document as it is. They believe it came from our creator, it came from God. That's right. That freedom is inherent in who we are as human beings. God gave it, no, no one is, is legally permitted to take it away. Of course, unless we violate uh, the word of God or the laws of the land and make it impossible for us to live among other human beings freely. And then of course we have to be dealt with. And the scripture provides for that too, amen? amen? But in the normal course as a human being, you don't, no one has a right to take away your freedom or your God-given and most fundamental rights. Now, here's the sad thing. Our founders understood that without that principle in mind, then freedom and rights become temporary, ephemeral, passing things that human beings can deal with however they want. Governments can deal with however they want. Uh, in, the, in monarchical systems, like in England, your rights didn't come from God. Your rights came from the king. The king delegated those rights to you, even your property. The king ultimately owned your property. You could have property, but if he decided to take it away, that was his right to do so because you didn't have any inherent right to anything, not even your own life. Now, our founding fathers experienced that with their own background in England and they decided that, that was wrong and they said no 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 rights come from God not from any king and no king has the right to be a tyrant over human beings now here we are just celebrated the 236th anniversary of our country's existence and we have an army of people in this country who are dedicated to destroying that principle dedicated to it they want that removed in the worst way and saints, they don't want it removed just because they hate God, and they do. And they don't want it removed just because they want to do what they want to do, and they do. They want it removed because they don't like the country as it is. And the only way you're going to fundamentally transform the United States of America is you've got to get God out of the picture. You've got to get him out of it. Because once you get God out of it, then it's a free-for-all. Then everything goes. Nobody answers to any higher authority than themselves. And people can, are, are, the government's then free to do whatever it wants to do with you, with your property, with anything else. Because yeah, you may have rights, but the government can say, well, you know, we're gonna change that right now because it's convenient for us to do so. And there are people who absolutely are dedicated. To tell you the truth, sometimes I think they are more dedicated to removing it than Christians are to maintaining it. And I think that's why we have lost so much ground. I just saw a program uh, on yesterday about a woman who owns a small business. As part of her marketing, she said, anybody who comes in with a church bulletin, I will give a 10% discount. Atheist swooped in and sued her. You can't do that. That's a discrimination against those of us who don't believe in God. And you gotta stop that practice. She even went so far as to say, well look, bring in an atheist bulletin. <laughs> And I'll give you, that wasn't good enough. Suitor. And this is what's happening all over this country, saints. Every effort is being made to take away the fundamental, the foundational principle that made this country great. I mean, think about this. There was a time in this country that Atheism, it's always existed. It's been existed from the foundation of the world. I mean, it's always because the devil's been here. There's always been people who rejected God and rejected the existence of God. 
But this country was so rooted and grounded in the principle that God existed that in the, up until the last, what, 40 years or so, maybe 50, when Roosevelt prayed a prayer on the radio uh, before D-Day, you didn't hear any atheists up in arms. Somebody, you can't do that. We're going to sue the president. We're going to sue the government. You can't pray. Now, they may have been out there, and they may not have liked it, but they kept their mouth shut because they knew, well, that's just, in, that's just it's endemic to who we are as a country, and there's no way in the world you can stop it. But now, presidents are cowed. Even those who have faith in God, many of them, many politicians who have faith in God, are cowed and don't want to bring it up because they're afraid of what the consequences will be. The foundation for freedom from religion runs around the country looking for where prayer is taking place in public places and everywhere they find it, they send them a letter saying, you don't stop it, we're going to sue you. They just sent one to Roanoke County because the Board of Supervisors opens their meeting with prayer. They just got a long letter from the Foundation for Freedom from Religion backed by the ACLU, which, by the way, is an arm of the Democrat Party for all these black Democrats, because Christians who love the Democrat Party. Uh, the ACLU is an arm of the Democrat Party. They run around everywhere they find people mentioning God in the public place. They want to sue. And Roanoke County just had a rally against it. Uh, I was out in Giles County. As you all know, a judge ordered them to take down Ten Commandments, but you could put six up, the ones that don't mention God. Chesapeake got such a letter about two years ago telling them cease and desist from having prayer at city council. They're doing it all over the country. I mean, they're on a relentless drive to undermine that principle. And if you ever undermine that principle, if we ever let them do it, we will not have the United States of America that we've had. We simply will not have it. It will, it will end as we know it. Now, saints, our founding fathers believed something entirely different. And this is what exasperates me. Well, for, 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 first of all, most of us are so ignorant of what they believe that, you know, we, we just accept anything. But, this is, but they believed in this principle that you could not have a constitutional republic without faith in God. I'm going to tell you why. I'm going to tell you something surprising in a second. Here's what George Washington said. And you all probably have heard this quote. Some of you have anyway. He said, of all the dispositions and habits which lead to political prosperity, religion and morality are indispensable supports. Now, when he mentioned religion, he wasn't talking about Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam. They used the word religion. They, they, their orientation was only one thing, Christianity. That's what they were talking about. Amen? Amen. He said, in vain would that man claim the tribute of patriotism who should labor to subvert these great pillars of human happiness. He said, and let us with caution indulge the supposition that morality can be maintained without Christianity. Or to put it in a way that you know, is more relevant to our contemporary situation, what he was saying was, we, shall not, we should not even entertain the idea that morality can, it, it can, can exist separate and apart from Christianity. That's what he was saying. You can't, don't even entertain the notion. He said it's not a valid thought to entertain. He said reason and experience both forbid us to expect that national morality can prevail in exclusion of religious principle. Now we call him the father of our country. And yet you got people running around, they don't want you to know that. And they want to say, no, 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 no. Our founding fathers didn't believe in God. They weren't Christians. That's a lie. That's a lie. Most of them were. You might argue about a couple of them, but most of them clearly were Christians. Now, here's what John Adams said. 
John Adams said, and then I want to share something else from George Washington, which is really powerful, which most people don't know he said, but it's important to know. John Adams said, no government is capable of contending with human passions unbridled by morality and religion. Say avarice, ambition, revenge, licentiousness would break the strongest cords of our Constitution as a whale goes through a net. He said, our Constitution was made, and this is the quote that people remember, most people know, our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. Now that's what they believe. Now let me, let me share with you a, 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 a little known quote by George Washington. He wrote these, these were found in his notes for his first inaugural address. He didn't use the words in his inaugural address, he shortened it and cut this out, but these notes were found in his writings. Here's what he said, and it's a, it, it is a prescient warning, and to me it speaks to where we are today. He said, I pretend no unusual foresight into the future and therefore cannot undertake to decide with certainty what may be America's ultimate fate. But if a promised good should terminate in an unexpected evil, if the blessings of heaven showered thick around us should be spilled on the ground or converted to curses through the fault of those for whom they were intended, it would not be the first instance of folly or perverseness in short-sighted mortals. The blessed religion revealed in the word of God will remain an eternal and awful monument to prove that the best institutions may be abused by human depravity. And that they may even in some instances be made subservient to the vilest of purposes. Should those entrusted with the management of this government, incited by the lust of power, overleap the known barriers of this constitution, and violate the unalienable rights of humanity, it will only serve to show that no compact among men, however provident in its construction and sacred in its ratification, can be pronounced everlasting and inviolable against the sweeping torrent of boundless ambition aided by corrupted morals. That's where we are today. That's where we are today. Now look, our founders believed that you could not have a successful constitutional republic without a people dedicated to the word of God. I told you all last week, the Congress endorsed the first official printing of the Bible among the colonies. The, con the Congress did. Man, they'd be suing Congress to high heaven if Congress said, we need more Bibles in America. <laughs> of course, we don't. We got plenty of them. The problem is people just don't read them. And for those who read them, often, usually they don't. Most of them don't pay any attention to them. They sit on a table somewhere, and occasionally they'll take one out and you know, read their favorite psalm, but we're not governed any longer in our, as a country. You know, most people say they are Christians and believe in God, but as a country, it's clear that we are no longer governed by the principles of the word of God. I mean, if we believe the polls, and the polls say that there's increasing acceptance of same-sex marriage, that tells you that most of those people then, most of our people then are starting to reject the truth of the word of God and embrace contemporary morality. So that tells you something right there about the direction in which we're going. And I'll tell you something, saints, and I mean this with all my heart. I blame the church. I blame the church. Now look, Jesus said things would wax worse and worse. There's no question that's going to happen. But he never said, therefore, lay down, roll over, and take it. He said, occupy till I come. That's 
He said, you hold up a standard. He said, you be salt and light in the earth. He never said, oh, no, you stay out of that. Like this dumb stuff you hear. Christians ought to stay out of politics. Yeah, that's why we got the problems we got right now. That's exactly why we got it. Amen? Amen. Amen. Now, now, part of this, part of this is understanding that if you allow sin to just run rampant in a culture, you ultimately undermine the ability of that nation to govern itself. Did you hear what I said? If you just said, well, just let, you know, just, man, just let sin run rampant. You, you ultimately undermine the ability of a nation to govern itself. Now, if we're going to survive as a constitutional republic, it means that there's got to be an understanding that there are standards that we didn't create. Standards that we were given and that we all are responsible for adhering to. Now, now let, let me give you two reasons why these standards are so critically important. Here's number one. The more immoral and decadent a culture becomes, the more chaotic it becomes because people are more and more driven by the lust of their own flesh. And the more they are driven by the lust of their flesh, the more they are susceptible to being controlled by those who will satisfy those fleshly desires. Now, look, don't you make any mistake about it. All of this stuff of giving people this and giving people that, all of that is intended to satisfy people's desire for having something that they didn't earn. And you keep doing that and doing that, you create a nation of sycophants and subservience, a nation of serfs, a nation of slaves, to put it in Allen West terms. He said it's, it's, it's simply a modern day form of slavery. And guess what? Then you can control them. You can control them. You can dictate to them what they should and should not do, what they should and should not say, what they should and should not think. And if you don't believe that's happening, you check and see how many people on the welfare rolls, how many people who are dependent upon the government, how they vote. You know who they vote for? They vote for people who are going to keep giving them stuff. I care about the condition of the country. Man, give me stuff. And I'll do whatever you need me to do. You know, look, anytime you are satisfied with a situation in which somebody can walk into your house and examine you with regard to how you're dealing with your children and, 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 and who lives in your home and, and whether your home is being governed by their regulations and that's okay for a check, you would become a slave. If that life satisfies you, you're already in mental slavery. Because as a free human being, you ought to want to say, no, I'll govern my own family, thank you, and I'll govern my own affairs. No, you stay out. Uh, when, when, when we were, uh, when my, my son was about, oh, I don't know, uh, 13, 14 years old, he ran away one time because he had done something wrong and he didn't want to come home and face his father. So, you know, he, he ran away. Well, you know what running away at that age is. I mean, he went and stayed with a friend. And uh, when... I don't know how, but I got a call from social service. Oh, yeah, I know how it is. That, that, that ultimately, the, the police <laughs> picked him up somewhere. I don't know whether it was a bus station, somewhere he was, but the police picked him up, and, uh, and he told them that he was, uh, um, what did he tell them? He was abandoned. 
That's what he told me. He was abandoned. And they looked at how he was dressed. He said, well, whoever abandoned you, they sure did dress you well. Because <laughs> you don't look like you abandoned us. I mean, you know, he had on nice clothes. He's abandoned. So finally he said, well, you know, he told him where he lived, then he brought him home. Well, then we got a call from the Department of Social Services. We'd like to come in and help you. I said, no, thank you. We will handle our problems ourselves. You know why? Because the moment they come in my door, they take control. Well, now, and you know, the first, one of the first questions that they want to ask, well, do you make them go to church? Oh yeah, do you know that there are many people working in the social service industry who believe that forcing children to go to church is abuse? Yes, they believe that. And they'll tell you, well, you ought to ease up on that. If the child does not want to go to church, you, you, know, you shouldn't be making them go to church. Now that's the government now stepped into your house to tell you how to run your household. And the Christians say, well, we need to stay out of politics. Yeah, mm -hmm. but you know what? Politics ain't gonna stay out of your house. Because you get the wrong kind of leaders. That's why the Bible says when the wicked are in authority, the people mourn. They mourn because it's coming to your, it's going to knock on your door. Amen. You're, you're going to have your child coming home from public school telling you that the teacher told them that you are wrong to tell them that same-sex marriage is wrong. We learn today that it's right. And you know, look, it's happening already. California's already got in the elementary school curriculum that you must teach children the great contribution that homosexuals have made to America. Now that's the biggest state in the country. And that's what they're teaching children at the earliest age. And you're going to tell me we need to stay out of it? Yeah, you keep staying out of it. And one of these days they're going to tell you, you know, what you said, what we heard you said at work, you're fired. What, you, what we heard you say on the street, well, you, you, you're, you're being fine. We, we're going to haul you before court because you have violated a hate crimes rule. Are you all hearing me? This, this, is, this is where we are in our country. And, and saints, it is only going to get worse if we allow. This is why you'll never hear me supporting. And people lied on me uh, uh, during, during my campaign. A lot of me said that. You know, he supports legalization of drugs. That is a lie out of the pit of hell. I never said that. What I did say that people then took and, you know, people run with things is what I did say is that I don't think it's fair or right for a whole nation of people who use marijuana to find somebody who's got some marijuana on them and, and, and stick them with a felony and ruin their lives. I don't believe that's right. I don't believe that's right because, frankly, if everybody who ever used drugs had a felony on them, we probably all, a whole lot of us would be in a whole lot of trouble. Amen. Come on now. Amen. I'm not a hypocrite. I don't want to put somebody in jail for something that I did just because I was blessed not to get caught. <laughs> and when they get caught now, throw the book at them. No, that's hypocritical to me. But I also don't support the idea that society should sanction the use of drugs and say, well, it's okay. It's no big deal. It is a big deal. Amen. We've got to find a way to discourage people and not give society's approval to this kind of behavior because, saints, it's another means of control. Can you imagine if the government becomes the drug dealer? And that's what some people want. 
They want the government to control it. So, you know, you walk into, just like you walk into a state store in Pennsylvania, you call, call them state stores. Here they call them ABC stores, but they're state-controlled liquor stores. You walk into the store, uh, give me this much marijuana, give me so much cocaine, give me this, give me that, give me that, and the state controls it. Guess what now? The state's your drug dealer. Now who do you owe your allegiance to? Who do you, you gonna vote for? Whoever is going to make sure I keep getting my stuff. And it becomes a, a means of control. Amen? Amen. So that's number one. That's why we got to maintain a biblical Christian foundation of morality for our country. But here's the second thing, which the Lord showed me. I had, I've never even thought about this. Now, let, let, me, let me show you something. Go to um, 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Glory to God. Are you all with me? Um, look at verse 3. And if you have it, you can read this with me. It says, let no one deceive you by any means. For that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Now, you know, that he, this is the Antichrist. He's called by a number of names. He's called the man of lawlessness, the son of perdition, the beast. Um, and it, he's also called here the man of sin. Now, now why the man of sin? Why, why would the scripture use that particular title and give him that particular title? Because he is the preeminent sinner. He's the preeminent sinner. In other words, sin always seeks to reach a conclusion. And the conclusion is death and destruction. What's the Bible say? When sin is finished, it brings forth what? Death. That's what it does. So the man of sin, this antichrist who's coming, is the preeminent expression of Satan's desire for death and destruction in the earth. Now, why is he called the man of sin? I mean, you know, he could be outwardly righteous, right? He could be outwardly, you know, decent. You know, a lot of Muslims claim to be you know, righteous on the outside. We don't drink. We don't smoke this, that, and the other. Okay? So why is he called the man of sin? Because in spite of what you've heard theologically, there is a hierarchy of sin. I know people say, well, one sin is no worse than any other sin. That's a lie. You know, I don't know why Christians buy some stupid stuff like that. I really don't. 